0: Listener Production. Hello, Tom Tilly with you for The Weekend Briefing. Our interview in this episode is with Josh Thomas. He's the Aussie comedian who's been on a wild ride in LA, cracking the television and comedy industry there. He's probably best known for his series Please Like Me, um, which he released here in Australia on ABC2, and then the Americans lapped it up. Um, It was released there and he was nominated for an Emmy. And he recently had another series in the US called Everything's Gonna Be Okay. And now he's back in Australia and actually back for good after seven years in the US. He's going to move here again, kicking it off with a massive stand-up comedy tour. He's going to all the big cities, comedy festivals, as well as some small towns. Um, The show's called Let's Tidy Up. And it's partly an explanation of why his house is a shambles, but it's also about living with ADHD. It's really interesting. Uh, It's a really interesting conversation with Josh Thomas. So, Josh Thomas, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Hello. Hi. Hello, and welcome back to Australia. You've been living in LA for about seven years, and we'll Mm -hmm. get to all the reasons why you're turning your back on that goddamn city (laughs) and and coming home, slowly and um, uncertainly, by the sounds of it. But first, Mm -hmm. this big show you're doing, you're about to do 50 plus... Dates in Australia, so you're coming home in a in a big way, and you've been touring America, where you've said the crowds are really nice, but we're not so nice here. <laughs> Australians are nice, but just sort of, um, well, I mean, I would say
1: normal, right? Australia to me is like the standard of, of niceness, and um, they're paying attention and, and they laugh and stuff. But Americans will just yell encouragement every so often during the show, and I found it really really distracting. I'm just not really used to it; it's not normal, and um, I always feel like it was my instinct. To feel like they're being sarcastic or that they're because they're yelling at me. I feel like they're trying to fight with me or something. Cause I'm used to somebody yelling at you during a show because they want to like have attention or play some game or and then, then we go to combat. But they're just yelling, like one 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 literally yelled at me, affirmations.
0: <laughs> and I don't know just what to do with that. I was like,
1: Yeah. No, I just, no particular affirmation. Just affirmation. Or someone yelled out, Well, that was silly. <laughs> And then they're just generally like murmuring, like to be like um, positive. And then I I looked at like other comedians that play America, and and I realized that like, oh yeah, you can always kind of hear the audience being sort of supportive and and saying like, woo yeah, woo, you know. Um, And the comedian just keeps talking. So I've had to learn how to sort of um, pretend that they're not yelling sweet little compliments at me because I did accidentally did a show that was an hour and fifty four minutes in Dallas. Too long. 'Cause every time they said something, I would be like, What? What do you want to discuss?
0: But they didn't they don't <laughs> want to discuss it. They just want to let me know that I'm doing a good job and have me continue. Wow. Whereas I guess in an Australian audience, people only open their mouths if they really want to launch.
1: Yeah, well they're like I mean, no one's ever being mean, but maybe they'll think they have some funny thing to say. <laughs> or maybe they'll think that I'm they're like getting getting me in some way. Or like usually if somebody Yeah, if they if they talk at you, it's not no one's just like whispering gentle compliments. I had two audience members apologize twice in Canada because I was talking about how Canadians are so friendly and how they always want to talk to me. And I'm not very good at like small talk. I find it quite difficult. So I was just doing a bit of like stand up about that. And
0: I left a slight pause and someone went, sorry. (laughs) Wow, that is nice. Okay, so you're back. You'll hit the road here for all these dates. And the show is called let's tidy up. And it's literally about tidying up, but it's also about life in LA and living with ADHD, which has become such a massive thing in the last few years. But you were you were ahead of trend on this one. You were diagnosed eight years ago. So what's it like to see so many other people become aware of this now and to sort of start talking about it? Yeah, I was, I was diagnosed with ADHD yeah ages
1: ago when I was on the cast of being quite interesting. But yeah, now everybody's got it, which did remind me of when I came out as gay. Because when I came out as gay, you know, 16 years ago, that was still interesting. But now everyone's gay and uh, <laughs> everyone's got ADHD. But then I got, now I'm di- diagnosed with autism. So that's like, that's that's still got some edge, actually. Not everybody has that, which I'm delighted yes. about. Because one of my special things, you know, is I, I like to try and be interesting. Um, I can't remember what your question was. Well, Oh my God, it happened the- live. <laughs> you were asking about ADHD and then it just happened in front
0: of our very eyes. What was the yeah, question? I, I guess the question is, yeah, what it's like to see everyone else understand it better when it was something you dealt with, you know, maybe in a bit more of an isolated way in contrast to now where it's a bit more of a public conversation. In it. I mean, even personally for me, it's coming up in a lot more personal context where, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's about someone's child or whether it's an adult diagnosis as well, a lot more people are are being diagnosed and, and coming to a new understanding of their own behaviors. It's quite a startling thing to have happen because what happens is, you know, they
1: like you go in for this test and basically all these tests they, they give you like a list of um, compliments and they've that to a list of insults, and they ask you which one better describes you, you know? And then the more insults you pick, the more points you get. And then if you get diagnosed, you it is like kind of insulting. And, the, and this is what my show was about. When I first got diagnosed with ADHD, the psychiatrist accidentally, this poor lady, she just said this one word, wrong once and now I'm doing a national tour about it. But she accidentally <laughs> described ADHD as incurable. So you get like mm. this list of your flaws and then you get told they're never gonna change. <laughs> this is who you are and you're never gonna be able to fix this. And that did rattle me. Like that that because I yeah. always thought that like as I grew up I was I was gonna become a grown-up, you know. I thought we were like improving <laughs> a bit every day. And she was like, no, 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 not really. And this shows me trying to figure out whether whether I, I should accept that or not. Right whether you keep working, whether I should accept or... that like I'm incurable <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know or whether or whether these like things that are like wrong with me to the point where like a doctor will sit you down and give you drugs <laughs> to try and mm. fix them whether they are like
0: unsolvable. That's so interesting because a lot of people when they talk about it, I guess in recent times they mostly talk about how being diagnosed was a positive thing because they can finally get their, their head around it. And then also, if the treatment works, that's also another positive. But as you say, you are being faced with this reality that this is a diagnosis of a condition that you do just have to find a way to live with, right?
1: Yeah, exactly, and I mean, I think both are like really positive, and the, and both you go through this this thing of acceptance, which is exactly what's happening here when she tells me that it's that I'm incurable. Is it's like it's like this is just who you are, and you have to learn to forgive yourself for going getting these things wrong. And with ADHD, there's a second step, right? So you get told that, and then you get given medicine. Mm-hmm. But autism doesn't really have um, medicine. I mean, there's like medicine that they'll give people to like for the the side, like I don't know what to call it, not the side effects of autism, but like they, you know, like an autistic person is more likely to be anxious. So they'll treat the anxiety, but there's no like direct drug that you give an autistic person. And the only reason to get diagnosed, the only potential benefit is to go through this process of like understanding who you are better, understanding what actually is more challenging for you um, than is for other people. Cause that isn't completely, that's not clear, right? Cause I'm just living in my own head. I don't know what's going on in other Mm. people's heads. So you get a chance to like, kind of understand what, is going on in my head that's normal and what's going on in my head that's less, less typical. And also to be able to communicate with other people that like, hey, actually, these are things that for me are, um, they are like more extremely difficult than they are for you. And that's really mm. nice. But that's, that's all you can really get out of these adult diagnoses. Which diagnoses had a bigger
0: impact on you?
1: I mean, ADHD was fast, right? So that was the first time I came to terms with this fact of like, <laughs> that I was like, that I that I was that probably wasn't going to change. Autism happened for me way, way slower because what happened with the autism diagnosis was I, I made a TV show in America with, um, I wanted to make a TV show about autistic teenage girls because mm. I really like um, autistic people and I feel like I have a real affinity with autistic people. <laughs> and and what I do you was i be able to tell. <laughs> yeah. And then I found out through making that show that I was autistic. We do all the research wow. and, they would talk about these autistic traits and me and my producer would be sitting there like we glance at each other like, oh, that sounds <laughs> like me. And then actually the first season went to air and all these autistic people watched it, of course. And they were all like saying online that they thought my character was autistic. <laughs> mm. So I kind of was diagnosed by the audience in that show because that character that I was playing in that show is me. Wow. So by the time I got diagnosed, it, it didn't feel like that big a deal. And also I feel like also the thing about autism, so much of it is social. And mm. I think what people can find it hard to understand which is this is kind of a crazy thing to say because it goes against everything i said before but if you're autistic you're born without an instinct for a lot of these things right you don't Mm -hmm. you don't have like a good instinct i don't have a good instinct for understanding metaphors i don't have a good instinct for knowing how to lie i don't i I hate the way eye contact feels and it goes against my instincts to do it but as you get older you learn how to work around all of those things like i can Mm -hmm. i'm sure if i saw you at a party i'd make enough eye contact that it would be it would feel fine at some yeah. moments um by the time I got diagnosed and this happens a lot with adult autism diagnosis these a lot of the stuff that was like really challenging for me as a kid I'd already kind of worked out how to how to move around mm. that like I'm yeah. kind of surviving socially now fine I'm not the best but it's fine
0: okay that totally makes sense yeah because so many of the behaviors are social you're having to work on that basically since you learn to talk as a toddler and then all through your life so then to get the diagnosis for you in your 30s you're probably at least halfway there right in dealing with it
1: yeah yeah you've like especially for me I'm like extremely extroverted I hate being alone so much um so I've like been forced to like constantly go out there and figure out why people are doing what they're doing and um how I could behave in a way that would help me fit in better in that social environment so I've, I've kind of got a like the difference between me now and me when I was 19 is is really huge mm. So I don't know, that diagnosis wasn't as like, scary for me. Whereas the ADHD stuff, so all that executive functioning and all of the stuff with yeah, being able to tidy my house, I've, I've never mm. made any
0: improvement on that. I've not. <laughs> I've not. And so this is where the show all intersects with mm-hmm. the mundanity of tidying up your house and how that relates to what's going on in your brain, Josh Thomas, but it also deals with your life in LA. So there's like, that's a really interesting intersection um, does it sound like a good I show? Please. Do
1: we make it sound like a good yeah. show?
0: Well, I've been reading up about you and I guess getting my head into where you're at. And it does sound interesting. One, because I, from an audience point of view, right, there is this growing awareness about ADHD. So I think it's really going to connect on that level for a lot of people, whether it's them personally or someone they know. So I think you're going to have a great like intersection with the audience there. Um, I think domestics, like it's stuff we never want to talk about because it's too boring, but it is so present in our lives and people are like arguing with their partners or debating this or that or trying to get their shit together or angry that someone else doesn't have their shit together. And then this other thread of what you've been up to for the last seven years, because you moved to LA the worst time in history, basically. You (laughs) moved there for a pandemic and a writer's strike as a comedian trying to get Uh television made. Uh So that sounds interesting to me. And just Donald Trump
1: generally, but I don't talk about it. Don't talk about the pandemic in the show or Donald Trump in the show. I promise. Good.
0: Good. Never, okay. Yeah.
1: Do you think the show sounds funny in the middle as you're listening to
0: this chat? It's a funny show. Does it seem <laughs> funny right now? Not really. Well, it's the Josh Thomas brand. It's about pain and vulnerability, isn't it? Basically. Is that the, is that? My- <laughs> well, the first my show, brand? please like me, was about. <laughs> It was about a suicide attempt, essentially. And it was a comedy series yeah. that well, got nominated for an Emmy.
1: Yeah. That did feel a bit like when you said that, it did feel like kind of like a sketch I'd see in a TV show where you've just moved to LA and you're meeting like all the agents and they're all sitting around a table and they would say, That's the Josh Thomas brand. It's pain and vulnerability. <laughs> 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 if only I had a bit more Botox to go with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got a very beautiful face though, don't you? For an LA face. Just the right Josh amount of Botox. Josh- <laughs> cheekbones, don't you? It's about the lighting. Is that um, what it is? The wrong lighting in it all—it, it's horrific. That's not true. You've still got the cheekbones. It doesn't matter where the
0: light is. <laughs> You've still got the jaw and the cheekbones. Stop it. Take me into <laughs> domestic space. What? What is the most painful thing for you in your daily life? Oh, in my house. Yes. Uh, it's just—I mean—you'd be so shocked if you saw my house.
1: You'd be so shocked. Like, like when people see my house, like they—they they think I'm. They always think I'm going through a really difficult time. <laughs> they think, oh, you're really going through a difficult time. You're like off the rails, and I'm I'm always sort of like lying. I'm like, oh, sorry, I just got back from a trip, and I haven't unpacked yet. Or, oh, sorry, I just have been partying all weekend, or I had a party. So it's like there's always some excuse, but it's always just. Um, It always looks like a a really mentally unwell person lives in the house. And I'm not, I'm like happy. Yeah, I just don't really know where to put things. I don't really understand where people are putting Mm. things. And I do, like whenever I walk into somebody else's house and their stuff is somewhere, I'm always just wanting to like go through the cupboards and see where they put the, like where (laughs) are they keeping all those tote bags. I want to know where they are, you know?
0: Yeah. So how does that relate to ADHD? There's... I imagine there's some kind of connection there. I mean, the first problem is um, that you buy a lot of
1: stuff because it's, um, it's impulse control issues, mm. um, and then you have a lot of stuff, and then you don't you don't want to put it away. I mean, what happens with ADHD is you don't have the um, your like reward system in your brain is like a bit broken. So like other people are like, but don't you think if it was clean, you'd feel so satisfied and you get to the end of the day and feel like so happy that Mm. you've like done this task. You'd get like, people get some satisfaction out of the fact that they did something. I don't get any of that. I'm just, I just like over the day I spiral and I get more and more and more and more and more upset and more like upset at the world. And I just can't believe that I wasted this day moving things around my house, just shuffling boxes from room to room until eternity when I could have been at the pub Yes, and then I was, and then the the house is clean at the end of the day, and I think who cares if the house is clean? I could have done something. I could have gone to Disneyland today, Um, whereas other people get to the
0: they they feel joy, don't they, when they've Mm. tidied the house? Yeah, I mean, I get it. Like doing some stuff around the house, I get a feeling of satisfaction, and you you give yourself a sort of um, imaginary pat on the back, and you are like, good on you. Um, But honestly, I'd rather be out having fun with my friends too. It's just sort of. Sometimes you have to shuffle the boxes around. You, you got to do stuff. Um, I don't know. As Ugh. I as I get older, I'm more like a, more, a little bit more house proud. But in my 20s and 30s, it was just like, get me out of here. H- home life is, is boring. I want to be out swimming in the sea of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, maybe we share that in common. So you're in a funny space right now because you're about to do this huge tour. But you have... I don't know if you've told your friends, but you've certainly said it publicly um, as you've gone on a massive press junket for this tour that you are leaving LA. You are leaving that yeah that community, if we can call it
1: that, <laughs> behind. Yeah, my, I didn't really tell, I didn't tell my LA friends. They sort of like saw it in like some news article and they were like, wait, did you leave? And I was like, well, I haven't moved yet, but I am on tour until May. And then when I go back, I'm, I'm going to pack it up and, and leave. So that feels like I've
0: moved, doesn't it? It sounds them. like you're, you're in the process. It sounds like your house is really messy at the moment. Yeah. Well, it should be fine now. Somebody else is living there. Yeah. So why are you leaving LA? Obviously, you, you went through some challenging times there, but you had some big success. As well, you know, first selling in your Please Like Me series and then getting up your own series, everything's going to be okay. So from the outside, it looks successful. Was it <laughs> on the inside? I, we're not a personality
1: match, me and LA, are we? We're not a personality match. Mm, don't know. They're always thinking about their like five-year plan, you know, like you'll be at the party and they're, and I'm just trying to figure out you know, which, which bar has the best party that day. And they're like sitting there thinking about their five year career path or, or, and, and it's just a bit, and they, and I really like, um, honesty and like authenticity and they have Mm. just got these faces filled with Botox and they're lying to me for no reason (laughs) about things that they don't need to lie about. And you don't have to be there anymore. One of the big things that happened with the pandemic Mm. is, you know, you don't have to go and meet anybody nobody wants to meet you they don't want Mm. you to come into their office and breathe on them even still so nobody's doing in person meetings and I was like well if I can do my meetings from Melbourne that just sounds so much nicer I love Melbourne so much it's like so pretty and safe and everything's really delicious Mm. and in America things are ugly and unsafe and everything tastes um, like it was from a factory Mm. (laughs) because it was
0: yeah yeah so, what was it like hustling there, doing, doing what you do, which mm-hmm. is, you know, trying to get up TV series, essentially, and plus now you've come back to stand-up. Was it hard? Was that a good personality fit for you? Because it's, it's no mean feat to get up your own series, and, you know, it's from the creation to the selling of it, and you didn't just act in it, you were the showrunner, which is the executive producer. There's obviously a bit of business hustle in that
1: brain of yours as well. <laughs> um. I definitely don't have any hustle in me, and I think I think I you know I, I made it. I made Please Like Me, and it did well. It got popular there, so you don't that like did a lot of the hustle for me. I went, mm. I, I arrived in America, and you know, Please Like Me isn't some like mega hit, but if you're a TV executive and your job is to know about TV, then you you and you're in America, you would, you would know that show, so I could I could get the meetings, and then look, I don't I don't know how to say this without I just what I did. I'm really good at pitching. Okay, <laughs> I'm really good at pitching I'm a, I'm a really good pitcher and I had a show and then we organized some pitches and I went in and I did them and they and they and they, we got multiple offers and then you go through the development process where you write a pilot and then you hope that gets accepted and, and that's what happened with the first show that's just it it was just eight meetings mm. and then I finished that show and then I, I just pitched again and, and we're in development like I wrote a script and we're like I've just handed that script in. So that's because, because yeah. I'm not trying to work with other people. I'm not trying to like, um, I'm not out there trying to like convince actors that they should like be the the lead person in my vehicle. Like, that, like, yeah. I'm not out there trying to be like, I can make a vehicle for you. Or I'm not auditioning. I've only ever done one audition to play um, uh, Cousin Greg in Succession. Oh, that's wow. the only audition I've ever done. I'm not trying to like, I'm not really trying to direct other people's stuff. So I don't have to go out there and like do that thing of like... Um,
0: I don't know, building a network or whatever. Yeah. Do you think you came close to being Greg in Succession? <laughs> did you get a call back? I mean, how far did you get? how How far did you get down the audition pathway? No,
1: I didn't get any. I, I did a self tape in my house, <laughs> and I uh, on your phone. And I didn't know. I didn't get it close. And I'm so glad that I'm not in that show because I love that show so. It's one of my favorite shows, uh, and and I'm just so glad that I, I didn't I wasn't in the middle of it ruining it. <laughs> also, do you know the thing is? I it's the only show I've ever auditioned for, but I hated the pilot script. I read it and I thought, "This is this show sucks."
0: Oh, it's, I'm a bad it's,
1: script reader. I'm a. I don't. I'm mm. not. I'm not good at understanding other people's scripts and what their vision is.
0: But that was an unusual show. I mean, even as a viewer, it was very. It was a. It was a bitter pill to swallow to start with because none of the characters had any redeeming qualities whatsoever. So you're like, whatsoever. where do, where do I where do I land my empathy on this show? It's like an empathy free zone. Well, so. and I
1: thought because it was. He peed by Will Ferrell. So I thought it was supposed to be more of a comedy, I guess. And like, Cousin Greg's first scene, he's like, he smokes a joint in like a, in like a cartoon character outfit at like one of their theme parks. Uh, and then vomits inside the cartoon. So that was like the first scene that I read. And I was wow. just like, oh God, I don't know about this. And like the <laughs> opening scene is the big boss guy uh, peeing in his wardrobe by mistake. Mm. So it just, it's- I was like, God, this, this show's so hokey. I thought it's so like a low rent. Yeah. I don't know if I want to do this. But I yeah. wasn't hokey and low rent. It was one of the most beautiful, prestigious television dramas of the decade.
0: So mm. that's why were, I'm not a TV executive. Yeah, you were very wrong about that. I was very um. wrong. <laughs> my final question, the thing that I really like that you said about this show, Let's Tidy Up, that is the the deeper question at the core of it, which you said was, is my life or my my internal life always going to be crazy or am I growing up? That yeah. seemed to be what was at the core of it. It's like, should we just accept what's shit about us? That's kind of the yeah. question. Or do we grow up or are they the same thing? Is, is accepting what's shit about us actually what growing up is? That could be
1: good. Maybe I'll change my conclusion to that. Actually, <laughs> what growing up is, is to accept what is shit about us.
0: Fate of I reckon. Black. Do, 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 do. Don't use don't use my words. You'll come up with something a lot more interesting and funny. I, I mean, you'd hope I'd already come up with it. The show is, oh. the show is finished. I finished it. So, you've you've done shows where you do like forty five minutes of extra improvisation on top. So who knows? Mm, not here though. I'm not going to do that ever again in my life. I've never felt so ashamed than after
1: that hour and fifty four minute show.
0: It's like when you've had a conversation with someone and then. Towards the end of a long monologue, you realize you've gone on way too long, and the conversations over yeah, as it's soon as like you, if leave you the gap. do a
1: bunch of cocaine and then wake up in the morning, and then imagine everybody else the night before that did a lot of cocaine and thought, "Oh no, I was the same as them." Not that I'm doing. Or, I really don't want people thinking that I'm doing cocaine. I'm like, it's a disgusting no, drug, no, no, and no. it's for losers. That was a, I'm not a theoretical scenario. Um, not because I'm worried that people are going to think, "Like, oh my god, should doing drugs," like he's a naughty boy. Just because I think cocaine specifically. Is a truck that you is only for the losers.
0: That's why you're leaving LA, isn't it? <laughs> I never seen any yeah, I never <laughs> Yeah. I actually never seen anyone do cocaine. that. Wow. The cliches are all wrong. There is a lot of Botox, right? You've 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 talked about that. That's that's cliches. A lot of the cliches
1: are real in LA, right? No, no, yeah. They're they're really doing all the things that you think they're going to be doing. Yeah, they're all like trying to be a star. They want to give you a script. They've got their faces filled with Botox. They're like deeply, deeply sad and, and it's very far to drive anywhere. And it's
0: sunny. Well, that seems like a perfectly good set of reasons to um, leave it behind. Come home. Hopefully have an amazing run with this show, Josh. Hope it's awesome. Thank you for talking to us on The Weekend Briefing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was Josh Thomas. If you want to see one of his shows... All the dates and links for tickets are on his website, joshthomas.com.au. I'll catch you later. And of course, tune in to the weekday briefings. They're in your feed at 6am. And there's also the afternoon edition with the latest news coming into your headphones. Listener.